All right. Isn't that great? Isn't it great worshiping God in music? It's great. And uh, it's great to see what God does when we give ourselves to him with our finances. And now we're going to hear God speak to us through his word. And we are doing a series on the church. We've kind of stopped doing our normal exposition of Luke. And we're going to look at the church. And uh, we've been looking at different aspects so far. This morning we are going to look at you and church involvement. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon entitled, Joining the Church, said, quote, Now I know there are some who say, well, I hope I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. Now why not, I ask? Because I can be a Christian without it, they say. Now are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? Well, suppose everybody did the same. Suppose all Christians in the world said, I shall not join the church. Why, there would be no visible church. There would be no ordinances. That would be a very bad thing. And yet, one doing it, what is right for one is right for all. Why should not all of us do it? Then you believe that if you were to... Do an act which has a tendency to destroy the visible church of God, that you would be as good a Christian as if you did your best to build up that church. I do not believe it, sir, nor do you either. You have not any such a belief. It is only a trumpery excuse for something else. There is a brick, a very good one. What is a brick made for? To help to build a house with. It is of no use. For that brick to tell you that it is just a good a brick while it is kicking about the ground as it would be in the house, it is a good-for-nothing brick until it is built into the wall. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live. And you are much to blame for the injury you do. End quote. That is a pretty serious little excerpt isn't it i was reading it i thought man who wants to be a good for nothing brick (laughs) kicked about we're in our series on the church and our topic you and church involvement so far we've learned about the definition of the church we've learned about the importance of committing ourselves to the church why the church is unique And so, I just want you to know, this morning we're going to look at involvement. And I just want to say that a few people came up to me, they were pretty distraught because um, they thought I was teaching that you're saved by church membership. And sometimes people are struck with, you know, something they hear in a sermon. You know, convicts them or they don't understand it right and it becomes like a bee in their mind. And the rest of the sermon, they're just kind of swatting at it. And they don't hear anything else that's said. And so let me just say it again. No one is saved by joining the visible church, but by grace through faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ. However, the Bible also says that Christians will love Christ and the things Christ loves. Christians will, as a result of salvation, want to be part of the local church and be involved and engage in corporate worship 
and submit to the leadership. This is only normal. You know, how can you say you love Christ if you don't love the church Christ loves? How can you say, well, you know, uh, I love Christ. I just don't like the people he died for. How can you say you love Christ if you will not obey him? You can't. You just can't do it. You can't call yourself a Christian. If you don't love Christ and the things Christ loves. That was the whole point. And it's not that works save you, joining the church saves you, but that salvation does a work in you, making you long for the things of God. And if your life isn't changed, if you're not born again, if you aren't a new creature in Christ and you aren't longing for the things of God, I'm telling you, you're not a Christian. Because God isn't weak to change people. Now, I also want to say this. I'm not telling you these things to lay a guilt trip on you. Some people are like, man, you're making me feel guilty. Well, that's not the purpose. You know, I don't want anybody becoming a member of Calvary Bible Church out of guilt. Not a single person. If that's your motive, do not do it. And if you're already a member because of that, get your name off the roll. (laughs) You need to become part of the church because you love God. And you love the things of God. And you love the people of God. And you want to be blessed by obeying God. And I would be a bad shepherd if I were to encourage you that your salvation is sure if you refuse to submit to the things of God. You refuse to love the people that God loves. You refuse to commit to the church. You refuse to exercise your spiritual gifts. I, I, would, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Now, equally disastrous is if you think you're going to heaven because you are a member of the church. There are many people who are in hell and will be in hell who died on the rolls of a church. Christians who love the Lord, love the local church, the people of the church, want to commit themselves to the local church, submit to the leadership. This is normal Christian behavior that God rots into people. When they are saved. And if it's not there, member or not, something is major wrong. And you need to find out what it is. That was the whole point. Now this morning we're going to be looking at three fundamental doctrines related to spiritual gifts. So you can understand what spiritual gifts are, their purpose, and how you can exercise your spiritual gift in the context of local church. So you can be blessed and so others can be blessed and so God can be glorified. Now, the first point is this. You are gifted at salvation. Now, everyone has different kinds of skills and gifts, even unbelievers. Even unbelievers have have gifts and skills. And so theologians like to divide them up into two kinds. The kinds of gifts that God gives to all mankind are called common graces, Or common gifts. You know, we all have read the story about some prodigy junior hire who was just a wizard in mathematics or music or some other thing. Some just genius. We all know of people in the world who are just incredible number crunchers. You know, you talk to them, they're kind of just calculating in their mind. You're thinking, how do they do that? They're just gifted. 
You know, they're gifted at building, they're gifted at art, they're gifted at communication, administration, leadership, just a million other things. God gives gifts to believers and unbelievers the same, these common gifts, just so that society and the world can be blessed. But there's something believers have that unbelievers don't have, and that is spiritual gifts. Given to them by the Holy Spirit at salvation so that they can be a blessing and build up the church. You know, you can take, you know, the three primary colors if you've ever done any art. Most of us have done at least a little bit of finger painting. Um, You know, you can get those three primary colors and mix them together in an infinite number of hues. And they're all made up of those three colors, but they're all different. Some are close, but they're all different. And in the same way, the church has gifted people. And some are very close, but they're all different. You go up to a maple tree in the summer, and there it is. You look at its leaves, you go, that's a maple leaf. You can pop one out. This is an apple. You know, this is an acer palmatum dissectum. (laughs) Japanese maple. You can tell right here. Acer of the family of maple. Palmatum, five points to the leaf. Dissectum, variegated at the end. Mm, they're all that way. They're all acer, palmatum, dissectum. That's how you tell the tree apart. No problem. Now, you look closely though, every leaf is different. Everyone is a little different. Though they all qualify and are obvious of that same variety, yet they're all different. And so it is in the church. We all have our different Attributes, and though we all are gifted Christians, and some of us are very similar in our giftedness, yet we're all a little bit different. And if you want to learn about spiritual gifts, I mean, the New Testament is loaded with texts, and we're going to look at some this morning. The first and the most primary place you can learn about it is in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12. It's a good place to start. The Corinthian church, you know, had a lot of problems. One of them was with spiritual gifts. Different people were trying to get certain gifts they didn't have, were envious of others because they had more, you know, prominent or upfront gifts. And they were, you know, envying each other. And these gifts were colliding and jockeying for position. And so Paul spends more time on spiritual gifts than any other thing. And this is what the whole content of 12, 13, and 14 in a very concise way. 12, you have spiritual gifts. They all differ. They're for the edification of the body. 13, use those gifts in love. 14, if you have the gift of tongues, this is how it's to be used. That's it. That's the summary of all three. Now we're just going to look at 12. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this passage, through chapter 12, and we're just going to kind of fly over, you know, at 60,000 feet. And we're not getting into the details. We are going to swoop down at one spot. But this is just so you can kind of get a grasp of what a spiritual gift is, kind of an overview. Next week we're going to be looking at just in a little bit more intimate way, how you can get involved in the local church. So look at verse 1. Notice what he says there. Now concerning gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Here we see that God wants you to understand spiritual gifts and not be ignorant about them. God wants you to know about spiritual gifts. So there you have it. Two, 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is happening here is you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, obviously, what we didn't get is the other side of the communique that Paul received when some people apparently had started merging idolatrous practices into Christianity. And some people, quote, were having these miraculous um, signs and they were cursing Christ. And Paul says, listen, that's not of God. You know, if you're up there cursing Christ, that's not of God. That's his whole point there. Look at verse four. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of facts, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Here we see that gifts, ministries, and effects of spiritual gifts are different and that there's one spirit, Lord, and God who's in charge of it all. Now, why does he say this? And we're going to see it in other passages as well. Why does he say that? For this reason. Because the people at Corinth we're having division and disunity over their gifts. Well, you know, I want to be this. I want to be an apostle. I want to be a prophet. I want to have the gift of tongues. I want to be this person. I want to be that. I don't want my gift. I want your gift. You know, I want to use my gift, even though I'm not gifted there. Um, and so there was all this conflict going on in the church. And, and Paul's whole point here is, listen, there's only one Holy Spirit. And there's only one Lord and one God. And I just want you to know. If there's division among you over spiritual gifts, it's not God's fault. It's yours. So cut it out. That's his whole point. Verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now this is a critical verse, verse 7, because it tells us two huge things. First, every believer has received a spiritual gift. You weren't passed up. Secondly, every spiritual gift is to be used for the common good, not self. You talk to some people sometimes and say, well, you know, I have my private prayer language eh, where I speak in tongues, but only in private and never in public. Well, it's not a spiritual gift. It's not of God. All spiritual gifts are for the common good and the edification of the body. They're not for self. That is a critical point. Look at verses 8 through 10. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, and another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Now I'll just stop there. Uh, this list is not comprehensive as we shall see. These are just samplings of different kinds of gifts that Paul is talking about. Specifically those kind of gifts I think they were all trying to grasp because they're the more, you know, prominent, miraculous, upfront type of gifts. And Paul's point that he's making here is, listen, gifts vary and they're different. Look at verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. This too is a critical passage. Why? Because it tells us that there's only one Holy Spirit. So if your gift is conflicting with somebody else's gift, it's not the Holy Spirit's will. 
Because one Holy Spirit gave you your gift, one Holy Spirit gave you your gift, and the Holy Spirit is one and is not divided against itself. Secondly, and even more critical, is that the Corinthians need to know, and you and I need to know, that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts to people just as he wills, not as we will. You don't have a say. You're born. You have blue eyes. It's the way it is. You have straight hair. It's the way it is. You don't have any hair. It's the way it is. You don't get to change your height later. Unless you wear stilettos. You don't get to change the color of your hair permanently. It's just the way it is. You get what God gives you. And it's over. You don't have a say in all of your physical attributes. Neither do you in spiritual gifts. And so to sit there and go, well, I wish I was blessed and six foot four. You just can't be. Not everybody's six foot four. But I'm telling you, be glad. Because when you're crawling into the house, it hurts. <laughs> I hit my head a lot of things. And it's not fun. So it's not all what. You have a say about it. You just get what God gives you. He gives you what he gives you as he wills, not you will. Verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. So also is Christ. Here Paul's introduces into this analogy and he works it to the end of the chapter, the analogy of the body. You know, your body has all kinds of parts that make it work. And all of those parts need to function together to make your body everything God designed it to be. Same way in the church. Everybody has a different gift. Some are good in this and some are good in that and some are similar in certain things. But God gives people gifts because he knows what his church needs. Verse 13. For by one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now just stop there. Here, we are not talking about water baptism. We're talking about spirit baptism. What is that? The whole point Paul is making is that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are baptized, submersed into, placed into this spiritual body called the body of Christ, the church. Remember what John the Baptist said when he was baptizing people in the Jordan? He says, one will come after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, if you want to know what that means, there's a sermon coming. Okay, the whole point is, is that when you believe you are placed into the body of Christ. Now, a lot of times we have this Western mindset and you talk to people and go, you know, I have the Holy Spirit as if you have your own individual Holy Spirit. Yeah, my Holy Spirit's different than your Holy Spirit. And that's the whole thing that Paul's arguing against here. No, there's just one spirit. And we've all been baptized into that body by that one spirit. You have a swimming pool. Let's just say it represents the body of Christ. Those outside the pool are dry. They are the unbelievers. Those inside the pool are what? Let's say the water represents the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when you're an unbeliever, you're outside the body of water. You're dry. But when you come to Christ, in you go. You are now placed into, submersed into the body of Christ. And yes, you are individually wet because you are in the body. But you're only wet because you're in the body. No one outside is. You have to be part of the body of Christ. So don't think of it as I have my own Holy Spirit. Think of it, I have the Holy Spirit in me because I am part of this corporate body, the body of Christ. That is the biblical understanding. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. All the members together make up the body of Christ. This is pretty basic. You have a body, a physical body, and you have all these different parts. Now, in verses 15 through 26, I'm going to read this now. And when I read this, you can see their problem. You can see the things that Paul is trying to correct by the answer he gives them. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member... Where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these, we bestow more abundant honor and on and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member, which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you can see how absurd it is, Paul says, to envy somebody else's gift. To wish you were something you're not. Because the Holy Spirit gives just as he wills and you don't have a say in it. So quit complaining about what you will never be. And quit envying that which you will never have. And just accept what God has made you. And you know what? We have parts of our body that, you know, like consider your ear. It's just a little piece of flubbery cartilage. But would you like somebody cutting off your ear? Like Peter did to Malchus in the garden? You want your ear? Yeah, you want your ear. And you want to be symmetrical? It's not that ears are all that cute either. I mean, they're good for, you know, holding these little microphone things, but that's about it. I mean, you know, hey, you've got all kinds of parts that people don't see. I mean, you ever have anybody come up to you and say, hey, nice pituitary gland. 
I've never seen one. Except from a cadaver cut open. But hey, you know, what's the deal? Is that not important because no one sees it? Well, it's all behind your thick skull. I'm telling you, if you didn't have a pituitary gland, you'd be in trouble. You need that thing. Big time. And so we have all these pieces in our bodies that we never see. That no one ever notices. Just like in the church. There's all these people who are behind the scenes doing things all the time to make it possible for the people who are up front, moi, to do what I do. And if they don't do what they do, I can't do what I do. And so I need them. Because if I didn't have them, then I couldn't do what I'm supposed to do. So everybody has a place. Everybody has a function. Some are up front. Some are behind the scenes. Some are little. Some are big. But all together, they all make up the body of Christ, so it could all function like God wants it to. That's his whole point. Look at verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets and third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings and helps and administrations, various kinds of tongues, and all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And this is pretty easy. His closing arguments is just saying, listen, you all have different gifts. And so just accept what you have because not everybody's going to be the same. Now, there is one phrase here. This is one we'll look at a little bit closer because this has been misinterpreted by a lot of people. Some teach, yeah, a little verse 31 there, but earnestly desire the greater gift. Some people have misunderstood that verse. And they kind of read it just like it says, which is not very good in the New American Standard, where it's like this. Just try and get those big upfront gifts. Be up front, be popular, be in front, try to strive to get that gift. Well, that's not what it could mean. The whole chapter is teaching against that. So what is he talking about? What does that phrase mean? But earnestly desire the greater gift. So if he's not saying, well, earnestly seek and desire and strive after certain gifts. I mean, if the Holy Spirit gives them out and they give them to you at salvation, you don't have a say. So it doesn't do any good to try and seek a gift you, you, when it's too late. It's like saying, you know, seek to be seven foot tall. It's too late. Either are or you aren't. Mm. So what, is it, what does it mean? Well, it could mean that Paul is merely saying, listen, every local body of believers needs certain kinds of people. And while you can have less servants and less of certain kind of things, there are certain things that are really critical. So seek those, you know, apostle, prophet, teacher type gifts, those critical gifts for your body because you need those, not for yourself, but that God would raise up. But that doesn't fit very well. The better way is to understand that this, that that little phrase earnestly desire is just one word. It's a present active imperative. I'm sorry to give you all this stuff because some of you are, I mean, you don't even remember anything about grammar. And every time I say present active imperative, what comes to your mind is like a snowstorm. Um, it just means it's a command, a command to do something. 
Now, whenever you have a command, and I'm sorry about this, but I'll explain it. Uh, whenever you have a command, it implies a second person. Now, second person is you or your or yourselves. Second person address. So, for instance, you tell your kid, take out the trash. And what you really mean is you take out the trash. All commands imply a second person you. Now, this can also be translated, but you earnestly desire the greater gifts. In other words, a bad thing. Cut it out. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole argument of the passage. And this fits the context perfectly. Because he's arguing against their desires to have these prominent gifts... And he's going down through the passage, and when he gets towards the end in verse 31, he says, they don't all speak in tongues, they don't have gift of hitting, but you are earnestly desiring the greater gifts. And he says, let me show you a more excellent way, last line. And then what does he do? In chapter 13, he gives three examples, hypothetical examples of super gifts and super sacrifice, which fit that just perfect. So that's what I think it's saying. Now turn over to Ephesians 4. Here's another text that tells us about spiritual gifts in a more concise way, a little less detailed than what we just looked at. But a lot of the same themes we're going to see. In this one, in chapter, in 1 Corinthians, we have here's spiritual gifts, chapter 13, do it in love. But in Ephesians, in verses 1 through 3, there is an exhortation to walk according to your calling and to do it in love and then spiritual gifts. And look at what he says in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of Uh, of all who is over all and through all and in all again the emphasis on listen if you're having conflicts here with your spiritual gifts it's not god's fault because there's only one god one lord one faith one baptism and so if there's divisions it's your problem not god's god isn't giving you conflicting gifts look at verse 7 But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. This is the same thing. Here, Christ is is the one who is said to give us our gifts. And Christ sovereignly gives to each one a certain measure. So where two people may have the gift of teaching, one may have a greater gift of teaching. That's all he's saying. But to each one is given. Each believer has this. Every believer has a spiritual gift. Given to them sovereignly by Christ, is what he says. Look at verse 8. Therefore it says... Now, when you read this, you're going to think, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Here we go. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, These verses are complex, they're obscure, and I would love to just really go slow through this passage, but I'm not. I'm just going to tell you what it means. What this means is, bottom line, Jesus is saying is that, or Paul is saying, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who was in heaven, descended to the lower parts of the earth, it was incarnate, lived a life here on earth, died and set people who were held captive to sin and Satan free and gave gifts to those people. 
spiritual gifts. This is not the same thing that's happened on when Peter talks about Jesus going to lower parts of the earth to make proclamation to spirits now in prison. This is talking about Jesus' incarnation, the purpose of his life, his dying to set sinners free from Satan and sin so that, and then to give them gifts. Remember in John 14, he says, it is of a benefit that I depart for if I go, I will give to you the the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes what? Spiritual gifts. Ah, so he gives gifts to men. This fits the context perfectly. Look at verse 11. And what kind of gifts did he give? He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. These are some of the gifts, or you might even say offices of gifted people in the church. Then Paul tells us the purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice how they're not for self. Verse 12. What are the gifts for? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is such a great verse. I could just preach for a whole year on that. those two verses. They're great. You see what he's saying there? He's saying you have a spiritual gift as a believer. And your spiritual gift is to bless others in the body so they can grow up to maturity and can reach the place where they experience in their life the fullness of Christ. That is huge. And that is exciting. And to think that you have been given something to help other people arrive at that place is just almost beyond belief. So when you look at these passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, what do you see? There's to be unity in the use of our spiritual gifts, not fighting, not envying, not jealousy. Everybody gets what they have. Everybody uses what they have for the glory of God and not for self. Secondly, every believer has a spiritual gift given to them by the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit wills, not they will. You can't change it. Third, each gift is different. Four, spiritual gifts are for the edification and building up of others. That's what we see in these passages over and over. So what does this mean for you? First, if you are a Christian, know this. That God loves you and he gave you a unique spiritual gift and or gifts, depending on how you look at it, so that you could be a blessing to others, bring him glory and bring blessing to yourself. Secondly, if you fail to use your spiritual gift, you're cheating yourself. You're cheating others and you're cheating God of his glory. That's just how it is. Now look at your walk. Look at your walk. You know, is your walk kind of a dull with the Lord? You're just kind of struggling along, not much joy, not much happiness. You come to church, but it's kind of something you feel like you have to do. Reading your Bible is just a real drudgery. Praying is just a trial. You've lost your spiritual joy. You think back to when you were first saved and how excited you were, but you're just, it's just not that way anymore. And let me ask you this. 
Are you actively serving other people? I was sitting in my office and I was thinking to myself, okay, I started thinking, okay, let me just think of some people in the church who are really on fire. You know, those people who are just, <laughs> they're just frothing at the mouth. The people you talk to after church, like, hi, how you doing? Oh man, I read this in my Bible. Oh man, yeah, I got to share with somebody. Oh, I got to do this. And they're so excited, man. They're just, they're, they're psychotic. It's like, I quit drinking so much coffee. <laughs> they're just out of control. You know what? I don't know a single person like that who isn't involved in serving. I don't know a single person like that who isn't involved in serving. There is this deep joy, this deep sense of fulfillment and contentment and knowing you have a purpose in your life when you're pouring into other people. When Paul, in Acts 20, asked the Ephesian elders to come down to Miletus because he's going to give them some final parting shots, he lays a lot of heavy stuff on them. From verse 17 all the way down to verse 36, I think, he just, he just says, you know, when I was with you, I did this. And I went from house to house. And I publicly preached and privately taught. And I did this. And you're going to guard the flock. And it, you're going to be held accountable for it. And people are going to come in from outside and shepherd the flock of God and teach them the whole counsel. And don't leave anything out that's profitable. Teach them everything and teach them consistently and shepherd them and love them and watch out for them. I mean, just, uh, 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 and you're just thinking, oh man, you know what that makes elders want to do. They kind of go, I don't want to be an elder. You crawl under the table. And so after he tells them all of these things, he knows there's going to be a temptation. It's a temptation every elder has, every leader has, and that's this, to be lazy, to kind of just set back and let others do the work of shepherding. And they just come to the meetings and just make decisions. And so he says this in verse 35, in everything... I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, what? It is more blessed to give than receive. Bingo. That's it. Don't think you're going to lose out by pouring yourself into other people because you're not. You're going to gain from it. It's going to be blessing. It's more blessed to give and serve others than to serve self, hoard for self, keep for self, preserve self. It comes in giving yourself away. That's just what we got through reading in Luke for weeks in our series on dying to self. Okay, so you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I admit it, I haven't been serving, but I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what it is, and I don't know how to find out what it is, and I don't know where to serve even if I did. What do I do? Second point, discover your spiritual gift. Remember, I remember being a young Christian. I was just going to church. I go to this church, and the Sunday school teacher says, next week... All of you are going to find out what your spiritual gift is. And I thought, well, cool. And he said, we're going to take a spiritual gifts test. How many of you have taken a test like that? Yeah, raise your hand. See? See? Yeah, you know, they're fun. You know, they're they're fine. They're fun. But they're like a broken clock. That's right, twice a day. That's how accurate they are. But there is a way... 
to find out what your spiritual gift is. And it's not that difficult. Here's four little steps you can take to find out what your spiritual gift is. First, pray. Pray to God that he would help you discover your spiritual gift. Now, you know he wants you to use your spiritual gift. He commands it in the scripture. So you got to find out what it is so that you can use it. So you know he's going to answer your prayer. Because if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. Bingo. So pray about it. Secondly, consider your desires. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now notice the little sequence there. You delight yourself in the Lord, which means keep your sins confessed, pursue the things of God, stay in the word, fellowship with believers, just Live like a Christian, pursuing godliness. Delight yourself in those things. And he, that is God, will give to you, what? The desires of your heart. He will give you desires. This isn't, the verse isn't saying, listen, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll fulfill all your lusts. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will place in you your desires, which he gives you. He will place in you the desires you need to have. So, you pray about it, you delight yourself in the Lord, and consider your desires. Maybe you want to teach. Maybe you think, you know, I, could, I like encouraging people. I like praying. I like whatever. You know, I like administration stuff. And go to the youth department. You know, say, hey, I just want to organize. I just want to set up. And I'm, believe me, they aren't going to say, get out of here. They would love that. People love that kind of stuff. You know, I, I just, I, I have this, these certain skills. A lot of times you have these, these common graces that overlap with your, let's say you have the gift of serving and you have certain common skills. You can use those certain skills to serve people with. Bingo. And be a blessing. Third step. Find a place to serve in accordance with your desires. Now, if you need some training, get some training. We already saw that God gives some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So you may have to go to somebody and say, you know, I have a desire to be a teacher. or I have a desire to be an administrator, a desire to be an elder someday. And I don't know how to get there. What do I need to do? And get some training, get some discipleship. A lot of times certain ministries require training, lots of training. And so pursue that. And make sure that once you get into that ministry, you give it a good try. Don't just say, well, I tried it for two weeks. I'm obviously not gifted. Fourth step, evaluate. If you are gifted in a particular area, this is what you will discover. One, you like serving in that area. And two, other people tell you that you're blessing them and they see you as gifted in that area. Now, if you experience those two outcomes, you have struck oil. You're in. You got it. Now keep in mind that most people are gifted in a variety of ways. And this is where it gets a little complex. For instance, I like serving people. I like doing helps types of ministries. I love doing that. You know, I like, you know, moving people and digging dirt and weeding and raking leaves. No, I'm not coming over. (laughs) But... I also know that I have gifts of preaching and teaching. Now, before 
I knew anything about preaching and teaching or even knew that I was gifted in that area. I almost all did service ministries because I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't have any training. I didn't know anything. And teaching involves, you know, training. Now, some people come up to me and they ask me things like, well, do you like preaching better or teaching better? Ah, I can't say. I like them both. Now, some people say, I like preaching. And some people say, I like teaching because that's where their desires are. To me, I like both. Teaching is a lot lighter. You you come on Sunday night, we get to talk and dialogue and ask and answer questions. And, you know, it's it's discovering the truth through question and answer and dialogue. It's a whole different thing. And it takes less preparation. It's just a lighter, more cozy, less in-your-face approach. Preaching, though, is different. See, whenever I preach, I have to obey all the commands in the Bible given to me as a preacher. I have to reprove, rebuke, exhort, correct, teach with all authority, and let no one disregard me and command the scriptures. And if I don't, I'm sinning. So if you ever wonder why I'm in your face, it's because I have to be. Because that's what preaching is. Now, preaching is very personal, it's very confrontational, and a good sermon is hard to prepare. Now, which one's better? For me, whatever. I like doing both. And I would do more if I could prepare more, but I don't have time. So what do I do? I have these serving helps gifts, and I have these teaching preaching gifts. Which one should I do more of? Well, this is when you have to sit down and you have to evaluate. Samuel Rutherford, who was a Puritan who was um, known for letters he wrote to encourage people while he was in exile after being kicked out of his pulpit during the English Reformation. Um, He described the Christian life like a river. And he said, everybody has a certain amount of water, you know, and we're kind of like a river. And if you're way spread out, you know, the river's kind of just trickling, and it's a quarter inch deep, and it's just kind of, you know, trickling away slowly. You take all that water in that big wide river, and you narrow it down, it becomes a raging torrent. Now, this is what you need to decide. Because some people get their hands in so many things, they're spread too thin, and they're kind of just trickling. They're not really getting anything done, and they're very ineffective at everything. But they're busy. And what they need to do is they need to say, you know, what is my primary area of giftedness? Or if they can't see that, what is the greatest need? And say no to, you know, four or five of the things they're doing. And just narrow down into that one thing or those two things. And get deep and get raging and get effective. Instead of being ineffective in a whole bunch of things. And so you look at your life. You have to ask yourself those questions. So I do, and I say, okay, you know, what are things, uh, teaching, preaching, helps, gifts? Well, a lot of people have help gifts, and less people have teaching gifts, and less people have preaching gifts, and so what am I going to do? Well, I know that I have lots of training to preach and teach, and I know the elders say, that's what we want you to do, so it's over. (laughs) So if you want somebody to move you, you have to call Edward Willis. He loves pianos, carrying pianos. You know, that's just it. That's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to stay into my channel. And it's not because I'm not gifted in those other areas. It's because I can't do what the elders want me to do, what I'm most gifted in, what I'm most trained in, which causes the greatest effect for the cause of Christ if I do the other things. That's it. Now, let's say you have a desire to do some ministry, but you try doing that ministry, and it seems like your gift is kind of a dud. You know, you you tried. It's just... Yeah, I'm going to teach. You show up. You've got this Sunday school class. And after a month, it's just you and your wife who's saying, I love you, honey. You've just pancaked the class and everybody's just kind of, yeah, trickle off. You know, if that keeps happening, you should probably get a clue. You're not a teacher. And though you may desire that gift, it's for the wrong reason. And just do whatever God has gifted you to do. Where people say, you know what? You are good at this. And you know what? You're blessing me because of this. And so this is the area where you need to go deep and get raging. Now, I just want you to say, know though, that certain kinds of gifts, because they require training, may take you a while to get good at it. I mean, the first time I ever taught, I was pathetic. I wish I had a video of that first time just so my seminary students could laugh at me and feel good about it. (laughs) Because I was bad. I was just bad. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have any training. Somebody said, hey, you want to teach this adult Sunday school class while I'm gone on vacation? I said, okay. And wah, wah, you know, it's like, oh, they were glad to have me gone. But what's interesting is several people came up to me and said, you know what? I think you're gifted in teaching. I said, really? Yeah, you know, I mean, you need to learn some stuff, but I think you have what it takes. And I thought, really? I mean, I just felt like crawling under a rock after the class. I thought, that didn't make any sense. I gave them way too much information. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know what I was doing. Everybody looked at me like, whoa, what's that? (laughs) And so, just so you know, it may take you a while to develop your gift. So give it a shot, give it a sustained amount of time, make sure you have the training, and then if people who know say, listen, this isn't your thing, then just quit trying to be something you're not. So if you have desires, pursue them. Pursue them, try it out, get the training. If it doesn't work, try something else. But whatever you do, don't just say, well, I'm going to wait until I get old and after I'm too old to drive my motorhome around the country, then I'm going to serve. No, your gifts are for serving now because tomorrow never comes. Third, exercise your spiritual gifts. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Similar to the other passages, emphasis here is on serving. Paul addresses spiritual gifts again, emphasizing the whole service in the context of the church. Look at verse 3 of Romans 12. Paul says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In other words, if you have a gift and it is a prominent gift, don't get all puffed out about it. Let it feed your ego. Listen, you received the gift because God gave it to you. You didn't have anything to do with it. It's all by God's grace. And so just chill out thinking you're something when you're not. 
We have the same ideas in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 5. Don't be selfish with your gifts. Don't be envious about gifts. Look at verse 4. For just as we have many members and one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. In other words, we're related. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These verses remind us of the same thing we saw in the other things. Everybody has a different gift and everybody's used that gift. And don't be envious and just use it and use it with excellence and bingo. Okay. Now, you're thinking, okay, well, we already got the you need to serve your thing and the other points. That's right. And that's why I want to talk to you about what this does not mean. What getting involved in church does not mean. Because people have all these false conceptions floating around in their head. Here. Some wrongly think, one, if I become a member of the church, they will call me up and force me to serve in a ministry where I don't want to serve. You know, there's some churches where you walk in the door and if you're breathing and your heart is pumping, it's like, hey, get over here. You're now the parking lot attendant. You know, or you're now dealing with the youngsters over here, the ADD group. And you know, you're, I, I, I don't like kids. I, wow. And they don't care if you are the round peg. They're going to they're gonna put you in that square hole. And if you don't fit, they're going to beat on you. And make sure you fit in that square hole. And a lot of you have probably had mis- experiences like that. This is not what the scriptures teach. You pray about it. You determine your desires. And you pursue the ministry. Until you find your spiritual gift. And then do it with excellence and go deep. That's it. Now, if anybody tries to pound you in to a different shape hole, then you just run to, you know, Brad Kelly and say, you know, the chairman of elders and just say, this guy's, you know, trying to shove me in the wrong shape hole. (laughs) Now, you know what? I just want to say that some people don't think they're gifted in a certain area, but they've never even tried it. You know, some kids don't like spinach because it looks icky. And then when they're 33, they try it and go, this is good. And so if you're going to say, hey, I'm not gifted there, at least make sure you know you're not gifted. And this is not to, you know, sometimes you just have to fill in for emergency. Like one time I preached at this church and they said, okay, um, the guy's coming up to me. This is, these are all the songs we're going to be singing. And I said, listen, I'm a preacher, pal. You do not want me leading. I can't even read music, you know? He says, well, you're the guy. Okay. Now, I don't make it a habit of that. And I'm just glad there's a lot of people down the line between Edward and me. But you know what? If all those people died, I could do it. But we better all know the songs and forget the music and follow my hand. Uh, you know, I did my best. Now, I want to let you know I'm not making it a habit of that, and that's not my area of giftedness. Sometimes you just have to fill in. I mean, don't say, hey, you know, I don't want anything to do with you because, listen, um, you know, I'm not gifted in that area, and I don't care if this is the crisis situation or not. I'm not even going to do it one time. Um, I'm not saying that. But don't, don't feel any pressure 
any pressure at all to get involved in any ministry under compulsion. Do not do it. It would be wrong. Tell them I said so. Give them the tape if they weren't here. (laughs) Never serve in any ministry you know you're not gifted in. That you can't serve in with the cheerful heart. Just don't do it because it will account for nothing. You know, if people decided that, you know, I just don't want to take care of kids on Sunday morning. You know, it's okay if they're all in here screaming in your laps. I mean, I could preach over them. Just turn up the sound system a little bit. Yeah, it wouldn't be convenient. It wouldn't be easy. Yes, it'd be distracting, but it's not sinful. It's not wrong. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt have kids separated into the next building. So, you know, you don't need to feel about that, feel bad about that. If you're not gifted, it's not gifted. And the church isn't going to, there's a lot of things we do that we, programs we create that aren't commanded in the Bible and we don't have to maintain them. Certain things are commanded, but certain things are optional. Almost all of what we do is optional. So make sure you're gifted. I don't think we're going to try and shove you into some you know, square hole if you're a round peg, if you become involved in the church. Secondly, some people wrongly think, if I decide to serve, it will gobble up all of my time and I just don't have any time to give. You're thinking, oh man, my schedule is so full already. It is so full. You know, we live in a busy state, in a busy place in this state. I mean, we probably you know, live in one of the busier parts of the country. People are rushing back and forth and there's all this stuff going on. There's commuting and on top of that, there's sports and events and piano lessons and grocery shopping and paying bills and doing laundry. All that stuff is just, ah. And sometimes you just want to veg out. You just want to be still and know that he is God. Um, (laughs) You just, the thought of adding something to your life just makes you feel like if I... If I became a member, if I got involved in this church, I'd explode. There wouldn't be anything left. I'm already at maximum tire pressure. I'm just, I can't handle it. Well, just take a deep breath. Nobody wants anybody, especially God, serving in the church anxious, frantically, or stressed out. No, not any of that. God doesn't want anybody serving like that in the church. No anxious, stressed out, worried servants. But I would encourage you to consider your schedule. You know, a lot of times we do all these little things that gobble up a lot of time. We don't even realize it. Let me just have you consider this. Get rid of your new plasma TV and every other TV in your house. Does that scare you? You know, the Bible doesn't say thou shall have plasma TV or any TV for that matter. Take your children out of sports. Bible doesn't say thou shall make sure child is in sports and scream from sideline. (laughs) Now, poor daughter of yours, take her out of piano, ballet, voice, karate, fencing, acting and golf lessons. And realize that many godly women lived and did great things for the Lord and didn't have any of those lessons. They're optional. They're not important in light of eternity. They don't need those. Now, if you can fit them in, fine. But you don't need those. Quit your job that you have to commute to an hour each way. And you think, what? This is California. 
That's right. There's plenty of places closer by you can work. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't pay as much. Well, let me ask you. You commute an hour one way to work. That's 10 hours a week. Do they pay you for those 10 hours? Plus the gas? Plus the wear and tear in your car? Plus hazard pay from being on the freeway during rush hour every day? No. I think a lot of people, if they just sit down and say, okay, if I got this closer job that paid less and they figured it out, they would discover that they'd actually be saving money by taking a cut in pay to get a job five minutes from their house. Plus, they'd save nine hours and ten minutes a week where they could serve. Whoa, a novel idea. Don't let this world, its pleasures, your hobbies, or anything else get in the way of you doing what God commands you to do. Don't let what is optional eclipse what is commanded and necessary. Third false perception. If I start serving in the church, it will take so much of my time, energy, and resources that I will be unhappy and miserable because I won't be able to fill all of my lusts. Lie. Just a flat out lie. We saw it, didn't we? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You are not going to be more miserable. It will not make you more happy. It will make you unhappy if you live for yourself and you grow old and you die and two people come to your funeral. Because you realize all you did is live for self. Instead of God and for other people. Now Peter sums up. All of what we've learned in two concise verses. Let me just read them. Just listen to them. Listen to these two verses. They are great. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here Peter categorizes all spiritual gifts into their two categories, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. That's, that encompasses them all. Those are like the two great gifts that all the other ones hang on. And he says, do it for the glory of God. Not to be seen by men, not because you want to be under compulsion. Just be whatever God has you to be, to do with excellence, and don't worry about what somebody else is. So, spiritual gifts are given to all believers for the edification of the the church. And if you are a Christian, you have those spiritual gifts. And so use them. Use them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we were able to learn this morning. And Father, even though we covered a lot of text, how glorious it was looking at your plan as... The body is composed of many pieces and all the parts work together for the good of the body. Father, so it is within the church. Father, I pray for those here who 
have never committed themselves to the church, who aren't serving for whatever reason, I pray that you would encourage them, motivate them, help them to receive the blessing that is to be received by loving other people, by loving you, by giving you glory, by serving and sacrificing for others. Oh, Father, help everyone here to be a part so that Calvary Bible Church can be everything you want it to be. We pray this in the name of Christ, knowing it's his will. Amen.